And the idea here is to change the narrative of what you think about black people in tech, right? Period, right? Just by giving a product a name, like it would have been so simple to have been done by anyone else. But I'm looking at it more like Tyler Perry, you know, instead of asking for a seat at the table, just build a table. Yes. And it might be rudimentary, but I'm building a table. What do you do when you have a dream and a passion for something you are pursuing and it falls apart? Do you give up? Do you go into a sunken place of depression? I was depressed. I'll be honest. Or do you look for other opportunities? From 88.9 Radio Milwaukee, this is Diverse Disruptors, a podcast about those leaders, entrepreneurs, and trailblazers who found their own way to innovate and did so with inclusion and accessibility at the forefront. I'm your host, Tariq Moody, and welcome to the first episode of season one of the podcast. Before we get started with our first guest, Dorsch Deans, I want to talk about turning failure into opportunity. A couple of key attributes of a successful founder or entrepreneur is the ability to adapt and take advantage of opportunities. To do this, one must not be afraid to take risks and think outside the box. A good example of this involves the folks behind Slack. You might have heard of it. They were recently acquired by Salesforce for $27.7 billion. You might be surprised that Slack didn't start off as a communication tool. It was started as a game developer. Yes, a video game developer known as Tiny Spec. Tiny Spec made a multiplayer game called Glitch. And during that time, Tiny Spec hired 40 employees and received investments from venture capital to work on this game. Then 18 months later, Glitch would cease to exist and would become a failure. The founder would have to lay off some of his employees. He had to give refunds to some of his customers. But while developing Glitch, the team developed an internal tool to assist with communication of the game. The founder saw an opportunity with this tool and started to work on developing it further into a full-fledged product, which now most of you know as Slack. Turning failure and tragedy into an opportunity is also a major attribute of this week's guest on Diverse Disruptors, Dorsch Deans. Deans was on his way to become a professional athlete until a tragic accident derailed his dreams. He didn't let that stop him. He then pursued a successful career in music. It didn't hurt that his grandfather was Eric Deans, the founder of the Eric Deans Orchestra, which played a role in revolutionizing the sound of reggae and ska and later paved the way for bands like the Scatolites. While pursuing music, Dorsch developed programming skills to help with the marketing of his music. And that's when he saw an opportunity to even develop those skills further, which led him not only to a career as a UX architect, but to use those skills in his music and teach others about UX with a product he called Aisha. But before we get into what Aisha is and his work in tech, let's start with Dorsch's childhood growing up in Houston with parents from Jamaica. So my parents are Jamaican, um, both Jamaican. And on my father's side, there's a heavy English influx of, of my of, of family. So I spent a lot of time back and forth between Jamaica, the U.S., and, and Manchester, England, to be exact. <laughs> uh, Mancunians out there, yeah. So, <laughs> so I have this huge, you know, uh, this huge family. And it's just kind of driven me to kind of where I am today. So I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, um, in a northern suburb uh, named Kingwood. It's a pretty 
all-white community. I'd say 95% white, my high school was. Mm -hmm. And then I played soccer my whole life. Uh, it's just like a thing, you know, Jamaican English mm. is just like a thing you do, you know. <laughs> so, so football is like what we do. But I played soccer downtown on this soccer team that is still there today called Houstonians. And the Houstonians is a, a soccer league, right, where you basically didn't have to pay to play. It was trying to close the gap between really poor kids in Houston uh, that wanted to play soccer but couldn't afford the thousands of dollars a year that it costs to play soccer, mm. right? So you had this amalgamation of like Colombians, Panamanians, Jamaicans, all of the, you know, the breeding pot of, mm. of Houston playing at this one club called Houstonians on one field, Let me tell you, 20 teams, right? And it was run by this guy named Connie Constantine. And he just passed away. Mm. So this guy was incredible. And he had this vision to just knock that down. You don't need to pay. Mm. I'm talking so much about Houstonians because it's really what shaped me as who I am today. All the languages I speak, all the foods I like to eat, all the places I've been, it was all from knowing all those different cultures at that mm. soccer field. So what, what language is it? So, I know enough people now consider, you know, Patois is a, a language, yeah. but we have one thing in Jamaica, you know. <laughs> in, um, I speak Spanish and I speak English mm -hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm working, I'm working hard on, on, on French. So, like, it sounds like growing up, you had good grades. I, I did. Yes. <laughs> I did. Was that, was did. that like uh, your parents just instilling, like, you're going to school, it's, it's going to be tough life, you need to focus on your grades or... What was it? I'd say it's that immigrant mentality, right? Mm. Where, you know, there is no other option. My, my mom always used to say to us, college," you know, like mm. she really had a plan for us, but it was just to tell us like, you have no backup plan. You know mm. what I mean? To put the pressure on you, mm. to use your brain, use whatever you can, find all your resources, right? Dorsha's mom set high standards for him and his dad too. He was the kind of father who was big into sports and teaching discipline on the field, Dorsch says. The relationship with his dad wasn't always perfect, but his parents did the best they could. His mom, especially. I, I spent basically my whole life with my mom. Okay. She is the most incredible Jamaican lady you could possibly ever know. She's a mother to the world, <laughs> right? So anybody that knows my mom would say that, that she's their mom. She's that kind of lady. You, If you called the house when I was in high school, like, um, I hate to say it like this, but the white kids mm. would call. Um, just different culture. I'm not saying like, you know, in a bad way or anything. They would call and say, hi, is Dorsch there? And she'd say, excuse me, <laughs> do you know whose house you are calling? When you call Miss Dean's house, you say, hello, Mrs. Dean's, is Dosh and dear? <laughs> and then people would be like, okay, Mrs. Deeds. And then they hit me up the next day or at school. They'd be like, man, your mom, your mom really had it in for me yesterday, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? But it's like, she was all about um, parenting the world. You mm. know, if you come across her, right, you are going to get all of her. So I'd have friends come over in the summer and she'd be like, when I go outside, stop playing a video game and go more the grass. Mm -hmm. You know, my friends are like, yo, I'm not going to Dorsch's house because his mom has always got chores for us. You know, she's treating us like she's treating us like one of hers, you know. Whether she was assigning chores or teaching phone etiquette, she was someone you didn't want to let down. She was a mother to the neighborhood, basically. The way Dorsch describes her 
As a mother of four, she had her hands full, keeping everyone out of trouble. And, um, you know, like any other teenage kids, my brother started getting into smoking weed Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so he was getting in trouble for it. And um, so I'm like 12 and he's like 14, 15. And um, I started hanging out with one of my, my friends in the neighborhood and my mom was like, da shan, minaga have you over them boy house, I smoke weed, you know, <laughs> right? But that's not what I was doing. I was playing guitar. Mm. I had this friend, Jason Harris. He's a country musician now. Jason Hawk Harris. Mm. Shout out to you, Jace. Uh, gave me my first guitar to play on. His father was a musician and he had a big double bass. And it was the most fascinating thing to me to see an instrument that size, you know? And um, I would go over to his house every day after school. I wouldn't ride my bus home. I would ride his bus and go over to his house and play guitar. And my mom thought I was smoking weed. (laughs) I've been there. I've been accused of uh, doing things I should have been doing, but I was actually doing work. I've I've been there. But Doris wasn't smoking weed. He was discovering music. Little did he know it then, but his mom's weed-smoking suspicions would actually put Doris on a life-changing creative path. And when I told her I was playing guitar, she got me a bass because I told her that his dad had a bass. But obviously a double bass is like a Mm $3,000 instrument. So she got me an electric bass. And guess what she got me? A Jackson because of Michael Jackson. She was like, (laughs) yo, she didn't know any better. Bless her heart. You know, she go into Guitar Center. You know what I mean? It it gives me like uh, goosebumps now to think about how amazing she is to just be, you know, a black woman in a music store trying to do something for her son. You know what I mean? just to keep me out of any trouble that she thought I could have been in. You know what mm. I mean? Give me a, giving me a resource. Um, so shouts to you there, mom. I never <laughs> forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're learning music. Were you thinking about this as a career or like, you know, most like families, especially I know, uh, you know, immigrant families, they want their kids to get a real job, right? Not mm-hmm. not an artist, not a musician, not a you know historian. <laughs> you always hear the lawyer, doctor thing. So, what was your what was your intent when you went to college? What did you want to study? Do you want to be a musician? No, and and let me tell you here now. This is where the relationship of my parents comes back in. I wanted to impress my father, and and he was always my my rock for soccer and music. And uh, I got a scholarship to to play at Butler. Uh, Butler is in Indianapolis. It's downtown Indianapolis in the Midwest. So I moved from Houston, Texas to uh, Butler. Uh, there, there was like lots of talk that I would go pro in my neighborhood in, in Houston and like mm. across, you know what I mean? There was a handful of players that, and so my connections also that I had in England, it was a, it was a good possibility. Dorsch was set, literally living his dream. And not just that, with those going pro conversations happening around him, he had an astoundingly bright and rare future in professional sports ahead. But then, on the field one day, everything changed. Tariq, in one of, you know, the saddest moments, I mean, um, in one of the biggest games, IU versus Butler, so this is like the Midwest, you know, showdown, I guess. And IU is like ranked top in the country, top 10 I know at the time, I can't remember exactly. But um, I'm a freshman and I get in the game and um, this is Butler's, we just built this multi-million dollar AstroTurf, like, uh, stadium. So it's, it's kind of packed. It's like a really yeah. cool thing for a soccer game, you know? And um, I get in the game and our goalie kicks the ball out and it reaches half line and it bounces. And I see it bounce and I'm running and another defender comes up and he ducks his head and I go forward and I shatter my skull. Oh, whoa. Uh, 
his injuries were very, very severe. So I had this, this, this eye I couldn't see out of, and they were telling my mom they were going to have to face off me, cut my face from here all the way around underneath my chin Seriously? over to the, yeah, to get to the, to the part of my skull so they could do the surgery. She's like, no, comes up there with, with medication in her bag, takes me out of the hospital, gets me on a flight the same day. Okay. And they're saying, ma'am, you can't fly because you know, the swelling. oh my God. Yeah. The swelling, huge swelling. And she's like, me no kya. I'm a son. May I go take here? I am on a move, you know? Mm-hmm. And she gets me on a flight um, against everyone's wishes and gets me to Houston to this doctor who had just invented this like revolutionary surgery. And uh, I go to see him like the next day. And he's like, look, you got to wait a week for the swelling to go down, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to drill just a couple uh, like drill size holes in the top front piece of your head. And I'm going to go in with air and blow your skin out like a blowfish. Mm. And I'm going to go in through those five holes and do the rest of the surgery from a computer. I got you. And to this day, he didn't cut my dreads off. Nothing. I've, I've had dreads since I was 12 mm. years old too. This was another thing. They they said to sterilize the area, they needed to shave my head and mm, all of that. Yeah. And I was like, I was, I was too young and dumb and stubborn. I was like, no, I'm not losing my dreads. Do whatever you got to do. And he's like, okay, that's cool. We'll just go this way and they they just shaved a little bit and mm-hmm. that's how he did it and to this day you can't really tell that i have three metal plates in my skull oh. um yeah so to wrap this whole story up after that injury i wasn't able to play soccer yeah, anymore, i would yeah. so that was the end that of must that. have been devastating like did you deal with like depression um like mental health issues dealing like your your dream your passion to to make your dad proud I mean, what were you going through during that time after the surgery? Like, did you, what was, what was going through your mind? Did you want to go back to school? Like, well, I, I was depressed. I'll be honest. And it was hard to go through that uh, amongst a community of nobody that looks like you. Mm -hmm. I say cheetah in Antarctica is the (laughs) analogy I use a lot, right? So one, trying to find myself as a black person in the, in, in Midwest America, right? And what I had kind of had my crux as was my sports, you know, my body. I had built with my back, right? Like my reputation, my my honor, all of that, my discipline was built through sport, right? I told you how important Houstonians was to me and soccer and my father and my family and all of that. So that would have been taken away from me. But I knew I had music, but I never looked to it as a career or anything. Even at that time, I was still just going through so much of losing soccer. It mm-hmm. was like my first love, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so I, I'd say I went through a really tough time. However, some people say God, some people call Allah, what, whatever you believe in. Mm-hmm. I believe in the universe has something for everyone. For Dorsch, that something was music. Remember that bass guitar his mom got him from Guitar Center when he was a kid? He never lost that passion, even after his sports career was cut short. He got back into music, started creating again, not just riffing in his garage, but at a professional level, he even put out an album in 2012. It was called Neapolitan, a little something for everyone. But showed me life, so, amazing. so that first album was an amalgamation of R&B, uh, dubstep, reggae, <laughs> hip hop. I mean, 
this was before Spotify, so you weren't really playlisting yet. Mm. But remember who I am. Think about Houstonians, Spain, Jamaica, Panama, you know, Colombia. Like, so in my mind, I wanted to make an album that could represent who I was as that person where if I gave this album to someone on one of my football teams, the, it, the whole locker room could listen to it. And so that was the idea behind the album. And I put it out in 2012 and it was well received. And I went on tour um, with a drum and bass duo uh, that I'd done some music as yeah, my English I'm a big fan. Oh man, okay. So I go on tour and we're playing shows with like LTJ Bookham. What? Um, yes, <laughs> at Fabric. Man played at Fabric, man. With you LTJ played at Fabric? Booker, with LTJ Bookham, yeah. What? And, he, yeah. He was finding a new purpose as an artist and musician between playing with LTJ Bookham, which I still, I'm still geeking out, a tour of his own under his belt, and a successful record. He was starting to see a new path forward for himself in music, so he decides to double down and go big and relocate to Jamaica. So I went to Jamaica with the idea that I was gonna launch a studio where people could come down. So we built this 10,000 square foot villa, all these bedrooms, it's, it's, it's eight acres of land, it has a river flowing through it, it's a huge mountain, it's beautiful, right? Um, and it's in Jamaica. And the idea is you come down, you record your album, and you stay for like three months, two months, however long it takes, in the Blue Mountains of Jamaica. Coming up in the second part of our conversation, we'll pick up Dorsch's story right there in those blue Jamaican mountains. He'll tell us how his path to become a CEO in the user experience space began in the recording studio and how MySpace, of all things, helped him up his game. That's next on Diverse Disruptors. Diverse Disruptors is presented by Northwestern Mutual. Northwestern Mutual is making investments and supporting programs that create a diverse and inclusive tech and entrepreneur community locally and nationally. Diverse Disruptors is also presented by United Ways Techquity, an initiative of Technology United. Techquity strives to bridge the divide throughout the community for students, job seekers, and vulnerable populations. Support for Diverse Disruptors comes from your membership and from Carthage College. Carthage is committed to embracing diversity, promoting inclusion, and practicing equity to nurture a true sense of belonging to individuals within the campus community. More about Carthage's diversity and inclusion commitments at carthage.edu. And we're back on Diverse Disruptors in sunny Jamaica, a place deeply connected to Dorsch's roots. Quiet, cool not the bustling of Kingston and everything, but you're still in Kingston. At this point on his path, he's just begun working at a luxury recording studio. His career in the music business was taking off, and now he's not only a proven performer, but a producer too. And this was the business plan. Another part of his business plan directly supported the music community outside of Kingston. For the locals, I was going to teach them how to code for studio time. Then he would test their knowledge with little web design challenges. And if they pass, they got an X amount of studio time. What an innovative approach. That was the trade-off. It was his belief that it helped 
teach the community the skills it needed, the better it would be for everyone. Kind of like that soccer coach you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. That's how this all got started. And now UIUX is basically a, a virtual way <laughs> of me continuing that journey and never, never stopping to think about giving back to others who, who might not even know these things. I want to like, how do you connect the dots to music to you? When I was in college, to promote your music, you had to use a site called MySpace. Mm. And to get a good MySpace page, you had to know how to code. You had to know how to write mm. HTML and inline CSS in the, in the code editor off to the left. So basically all throughout college, I had been doing this to help myself, mm. right? And then other artists would come and say, hey, man, I like that page. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I had done that all throughout college as a side thing. And then WordPress mm. came around. And, and that was like a whole new thing to me. And so I started making WordPress sites, PHP, mm. learning the loops, like everything, like going through there. And I was like, okay, this is, this is something I was doing in the background So you background weren't even like taking classes. This is something, this is just no something classes. out of necessity to help your music career. Out of necessity. Okay. Out of necessity. I needed this. I'm learning anyway. I, I just started writing code. And I took some classes in, in college too, uh, some computer science classes that I, I shouldn't not say. I just liked it. It was just something I liked, just like bass, hanging out at Jason's house. You know, I had the fervor to do it and I just liked it and, and I did it uh, low key in the background. I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs and founders like Dorsch, that spirit of I want this thing. I'm interested in this thing. I'm going to learn and master this thing. And then the thing I love to do, I'm going to find a way to make money at it. That is what being an entrepreneur is. That is the, the spark of entrepreneurship. And for him, it came in the form of playing bass, guitar, and making amazing websites. I was, you know, always doing this as a, like, uh, remote consultant kind of. People would hit me up from Japan, from Spain, from Jamaica, and ask me to do digital work for them online. So I ended up making an agency where I was making money doing this before remote work was actually a thing. I was making, I was doing branding and websites <laughs> for people as a musician though. But it was just like, at the time it wasn't cool yeah. to say that. When Instagram had just come around and everything, it was all about like, look at me, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so the, the vibe at that time was like, you have one thing and it's music. Don't dare tell anyone else that you do something else. But when I went to Jamaica, I just let it be mm. that you know, I, I could see the wave of tech coming for the world. Dorsch had that foresight. He could see the innovation coming to the music industry. His agency was up and running. His studio was humming along in Jamaica. But then there was a change of plans. A happy change this time that brought him back to the States, at least for a short time. And we were finishing up the studio and everything I just told you about. And my partner gets pregnant with mm. our first son. And I come, uh, we decided we didn't want to have him in Jamaica because it'd be easier with the whole passport thing and, and all the nationalities to just have him in America and then do the route that I've done to get all my passports. And uh, we go back to Houston uh, to stay at my mom's. My mom had a house in Houston, so we go there to stay and have the baby. So this is 2014, we're talking now. And um, she has the baby and I end up coming up to Indianapolis where her family is from and I run into a friend from the music industry who is also, by daytime, a manager at a tech company. And he's like, hey, man, we need a front-end developer for a project at Barclays in England. Mm -hmm. Right? 
And I'm like, I hear England. And now, of course, I, but he's like, you're going to be based here in Indy for a while. Uh, it might require you have to travel, but um, you're going to be working as a, listen to this, front end developer, UI, UX for, for Barclays. Um, do you want it? Mind you, I'm just in the States just for the baby to be had have the baby and for him to meet the family and we're heading back to jamaica to go finish and, up you, and then on top right? of it you're like you're working a musician and you basically that kind of job would go to somebody usually somebody who who went to school for it on top of it yeah. computer science and, and yeah. all of that right so when when i see that i'm like wait a minute i came here to learn more right because i want to go help folks but now this opportunity in england it was the word england that's what that's what really was like whoa when the universe said that and then check this my uncle lives in canary wharf in canary wharf where the project mm. was so this is another thing right i was like okay i'm, I'm gonna take it random right i remember i have this thing going in jamaica i have investors i have like i have this thing going like we're building and i, I kind of just have this i had my son and i was like you know what the universe is telling me i know this everyone else would say this is the wrong path don't do this and i took the gig at Barclays as a front-end developer. So what happened? Uh, you took the job. What about the project Jamaica? What happened to that? Is that was it still going? What's It's, still, it's okay. still going. It still went on. It paused a little bit. It's still going today is what I want to say. Like it's still coming mm -hmm. to fruition today. But it paused during this time frame. So let's say a couple okay. of years it paused. But the reason I'm telling you this is I took that gig at Barclays and senior leadership was like, hey man, you are one of you know, uh, the only people of color that work here, <laughs> you know, and you're really, you're really talented, man. You should consider a master's degree in computer science since you have a music degree. Just tell your story better out here. Because had I not worked with you, it would have, it would have been hard for me to believe that someone without a traditional computer science degree would have chops like this. And I, I took the advice and I got, I got the company to pay for it as well. They sent me to school to get a master's degree in human-computer interaction. Where'd you go for master's? So IUPUI, uh, Indiana University, Purdue University, mm -hmm. Indianapolis. So they have a the double university downtown, so you don't have to drive to Bloomington. But the degrees right. from IU, I, I did that, and I, and I leveled up in UX. That's where I, that's where I really got my deep, deep, deep understanding of, of the user-centered design process. By this time, as he was working on his master's, Dorsch has become a real expert in the world of user experience. Most people call it UX. UX is a broad field that it intersects with every single kind of product there is, digital otherwise. Everything from a, a refrigerator to your iPhone, all those fancy apps, or to your Xbox, PlayStation, there's a UX person behind those products. User experience is like, if you've ever gotten a new pair of shoes, okay, when you open that box and... You know, you, you take out the shoe and there's that brown paper stuff down in the, in the shoe that you have to pull it out and undo the laces if they tied them or if there's an extra set of laces, you got to move them aside. All of that things that I just explained to you is the user experience. Someone thought that through to put those shoes in that box that way, to wrap them in the paper that way, to turn them one shoe upside down and the other one facing the other way, right? Mm. That's user experience. When I was in my master's, right, remember I'm working uh, full-time and I'm doing this master's that they're sending me to do. And on orientation day, you go into this big auditorium, you get to meet everyone that's going to be getting the degree. And I'll tell you, 75% of the room was from Asia. So whether India or you know, China or Japan or something, right? Um, the rest was white. And then there was me and one other black guy. 
I was like, you know what? This is a joke. Because by virtue of my job, the design is what most C-level people pay for. When they give you that $2 million, $3 million check to go build something, they're looking at a prototype. They're looking at the, the plan, mm-hmm. you know? So when I walk into the room, just by virtue of my job, I meet a lot of senior and executive level folks at massive companies. I know them because they're judging my design that the developers are going to go and make. And once again, I'm in those rooms. I see nobody. Sorry, nobody that looks black, woman, male, nothing. We hear this all the time, the lack of representation at this level. And that's why Doris, and you hear, you hear it later in our conversation, got into UX in the first place, and it's why this podcast exists. Back to Dorsch. He finished his master's degree, and he's asking himself, what's next? While he was in school, he had this concept for an album that would combine his love of music with his new expertise in UX. So he, he does that. He makes an album called UI UX. There are 12 tracks on the album, and they all got titles that reference things from the field of user experience. But it's not only that. The songs have deep references to his own experiences. It's really, really good. I've got a split personality And every day so painful Dealing with this ego What am I saying? I know you don't care about me at all To place your fears upon my soul Trouble don't sit like crane at all Mama always said that from I was small But now I'm a big man Standing tall on my feet and then I had a mentor here in Indy that I took it to when I was pretty much done. I had graduated. His name is Stuart Hyatt. And he got nominated for a Grammy Award for an album called The Clouds in 2006, where he went into prisons and recorded songs with prisoners. And, and you know, was, and had this whole like uh, project where it was like this mobile recording thing. He's an incredible guy. He was a mentor to me. And he goes, Dorsch, this project is really cool, but you've just got some songs that are about tech. You, you have skills. Give me more. Build me something. That's what all he said to me. Build me something. And I took that and I was like, okay, you, using my UX skills, I just went through the UCD process where you take people through empathetic steps. That word is key. Empathetic. Human beings are at the core of UX. So in order to design for a living, breathing, carbon-based person requires a very specific way of thinking. So it's a five-step uh, journey that you go through where you take people through empathy, defined, ideating, prototyping, and testing, right? It's like a five-step process that you go through. So I started interviewing people and started talking to them about things that they would want. And I ended up coming across this idea to build a chatbot that you could ask questions about tech. Because I was like, my mom always says, Dash, what you do? I mean, I understand what you do. Your auntie just called She want to know what you do. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, I tell you all the time. You know what I mean? Or she'll call and say, what is 5G, baby? What is this 5G that, that they're coming? You know? And I'm like, okay, this would be great if you had a resource other than Google that you could ask tech questions to because people have mm-hmm. them all the time. And they're a part of our vernacular. We talk about Wi-Fi, we talk about 5G, we talk about artificial intelligence, but a lot of people don't know what that means. And there's some people in the room that are scared to put their hand up and say, I mean, even people in tech that I work with don't know what some of these acronyms are and they're scared. So the idea was to just build a chatbot. 
As I started doing my research, I realized that there is a huge, huge problem with um, representation in tech yeah. for mm-hmm. Black people. Huge problem. And this was through my, my master's degree. I started doing this research. And I realized that Black women, unfortunately, bear the brunt of that. Once again, just another thing for Black women to bear the brunt of, of being the most underrepresented in this in mm-hmm. this industry and, and finding it hard to, when getting the jobs, integrate within mm-hmm. the culture. You've got Alexa, you got Erica, you got Siri, you got, you know mm-hmm. where I'm going with this, right? You got this perception that knowledge is, right? If you're not careful, you have this perception that knowledge is held by one group of Eurocentric mm-hmm. names, right? So I went on this journey and I was just asking people about these names and I came across Aisha and I started asking people, hey, what do you think about the name Aisha? What comes to your mind when you think of the name Aisha? The most common answer I received, there's a couple points I want to hit on, was a black woman. They see a black woman. And one word that I pulled out of all of the interviews was ghetto, mm. uneducated, loud. The these, stereotype. These dark work. These, yeah. these stereotypes. So I was like, okay, okay, well, watch this. We know in programming as developers that a semicolon will break a code. One, one little period will throw the yep. whole thing off. So I was like, all right, I got to break this code. I have to break this programming that knowledge is coming from one, one set, of, even if it's just the name, even if it's just in the branding, right? Because we're all hitting the same APIs. <laughs> we're all hitting the same. So why are we naming the products after one group of folks? Oh, I know why. Let's come back to my original thing. When I'm in the room showing my designs, there's nobody that looks like me. So there's no one advocating for those products. And if there are, they might be so marginalized that they're scared to put say something when they're like, hey, we're going to name this Alexa. How do you feel about that, Trayvon? Is that cool? Absolutely. That's good. Let's just go with that. Because when you look to your left and your right, dare you say something because you're the only one. I've been on these teams, so that's why I'm saying this. So it comes down to Aisha being a product for everyone, just like Alexa. She just happens to have a black name. And the idea here is to change the narrative of what you think about black people in tech, right? Period. Just by giving a product a name, like it it would have been so simple to have been done by anyone else. But I'm looking at it more like Tyler Perry, you know, instead of asking for a seat at the table to build a table. Yes. And it might be rudimentary. I wrote all the code. I'm using uh, third party libraries. I'm doing everything I can. Right. But I'm building a table. And anyone else that wants to come with me, hey, you, your uncle's a carpenter? Cool. Let's reiterate on this. Let's make it better. Because now you found me trying to do something, you know? Just like <laughs> I found you. And you know what I mean? Like, this is how it works. So that's where I am. And I guess the last thing I would say, Tariq, even in your, in your uh, podcast um, about education, I was listening to that. And that Black females, right, are more susceptible mm-hmm. to feeling like they uh, don't need nurturing. They're more sexualized yep. than, than, and they're thought to be older. Even all this comes back to Aisha, changing that narrative. Come to me for knowledge, okay? You, you, Aisha is not ghetto. She is not dumb. She's not any, anything that anyone has programmed you to think. Let's get those semicolons out. Let's get those periods mm. out. Let's get this code to run properly, okay? And this code runs properly right here in this device. You can text Aisha, you know, right now, and she'll give you answers to common tech questions. 
So when my mom asks me, Dorsh, what is CSS? And, you know, why does this HTML email not popping up? Or why, what is Wi-Fi? Or what is 5G? All I tell her now is ask yeah. Aisha. And I have Aisha in her phone. And she can text Aisha these questions. And, you know, it's built with AI. So it's learning. So it's, it's learning you know, and adapting to the... Cool. Always learning and learning and adapting to, wow. you know. So t- so mm-hmm. you've got all this stuff going, which is just fascinating. Your story is just fascinating. Um, you you just released this project, um, UI UX. You have a chat bot. You have the Jamaican the, the studio in Jamaica. What is next for you? Like, what's what's what? Where do you where do you see yourself next year? Where do you see yourself in five years? You sell you see yourself still focused in the space, go, like be back in music running a startup, like what's next for you? What's your future? That's that's a great question. And I, I'd say the universe will, will tell me, right? What the next thing for me is. But what I what I feel uh the next step is to run run this as a full startup. I feel like there's more there's more to do here with the whole Aisha initiative separate from the UI UX thing that mm-hmm. it started as. There's there's definitely um, a phase two to the project that I've actually already started on, um, and yeah, I'm I'm out here fundraising now. I'm a founder, mm. right? I guess <laughs> I I have meetings with VCs. Um, Tariq, I will honestly say to you, the, to here, here's another thing. One of the VCs I'm talking to, I found because of you on of LinkedIn. Me. <laughs> yes, you posted something on LinkedIn, right? And I, I looked at it and boom, here we are, you know? That's what I'm saying. The universe will always bring the pieces to the puzzle and bring the people together that, that need to be together, you know? We actually are one. I am you and you are me. We are one, you know? We are literally made from the same, some, it, it, it's so deep, right? The fact that we're talking right now. And, and a final mm-hmm. question, uh, I ask this of all the guests. Like, what would you say to somebody you know, especially like a young black kid, young black girl, young black boy yeah. who wants to get into this or find their place in this space. What kind of advice would you give them? Wow, that's amazing. And and I'll, I'll say it like this, uh, pretty much. A uh, quote that was given to me from one of my best friends, his grandfather told him once, don't work with your back, work with your brain. And really what what that means is like, we're always told like, and there's nothing wrong because I'm a perfect example of playing soccer with my mm. back, right? Looking to be a star and get a jersey with my last name. And we're usually told that you're great with a ball in your hand, but we're not told to be Zuckerberg. Mm. Or we're not told to be mm. Bezos. We're not told to write code. We're not told to be, you know, Jack Dorsey. I just named off four or five white mm. men. You know what I mean? And and trust me, there are black tech founders yep. out there, and we're all doing the same thing. I'm, I'm not saying that oh there are there are no none. You know what I mean? But the, what I would say to a young black boy or black girl is, there are many Dorshes out here. There are there are many options out here. Don't don't think that you can't do it. Don't think that it's not mm-hmm. for you. Is, is basically what I'm I'm trying to say. Like uh, I'll do everything I can to make sure you are represented, young black boy or young black girl, mm. as much as I can, you know. But but we are out here. Um, we're we're working. It, it, it's not as visible as a protest in the streets, right? But maybe we should. Maybe we should start a protest in Silicon Valley. I mean, it, it's not on that level, mm. you know what I mean? But but maybe it is a social injustice for this to be mm-hmm. happening. The Nielsen report had a, a couple of years ago about black consumers in this country are most tech savvy consumers. Black Twitter, you know, 
There's an article mm. in the New York Times, Black LinkedIn. Like we we adopt, we're early adopters. I mean, SoundCloud wouldn't be for wouldn't be anything without black people, right? Video games, more black people, more young black kids play video games more than white kids. But the people making this stuff, they're not there. We we help sell these things. We help make Twitter popular. We help make SoundCloud uh, 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 industry norm. But where are we when it comes to investment? Where are we when we get the credit? Where are we helping build these things, right? What if they had more women? What if they had black people? What if they're Latinas? What if they had people from the Bronx on their teams, right? And so right. it's very fascinating how deep this can really go. But what you're doing is very, you know, your story is really interesting. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us on uh, Diverse Disruptors here. So thank you. Thank you. Dorsch Deans, founder of Aisha. And let's not forget his album, UI UX. We'll drop a link to it on our website at radiomilwaukee.org slash disruptors. And coming up next time on Diverse Disruptors, I'm thrilled and excited to welcome Arlen Hamilton, author of uh, the amazing book, It's About Damn Time, and a founder of Backstage Capital. She has to be one of the few black woman-led venture capital firms in the country. You do not want to miss this. I want to start with imposter syndrome. How do you... How do you tell somebody, especially black people who are getting to spaces where success is happening and they, they, they question themselves, how do you mm-hmm. fight that? How do you overcome that? Well, here's my question for you. Who who deserves it if you don't? Of course, we're, we're kind of trained to think that we're supposed to accept less. Why don't you deserve this? Everything that you've done up until this point has led to where you are today. Thanks for listening to episode one of Diverse Disruptors. Take a moment right now to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. We'll be releasing new episodes every week and have a great list for season one, including Nash Ahmed, founder of this great platform called Undock. We will also bring it back to Milwaukee in episode four with Lita Mallet, a founding high school principal at Milwaukee Excellence Charter School, who has committed to quadrupling the number of black students who take the AP computer science exam in Wisconsin. Plus, we'll cover a bit of esports in the podcast with my conversation with Ryan Johnson, founder of Community. And we'll close out with Kelly Burton and fellow Howard alum Aaron Horn McKinney from the Black Innovation Alliance. I hope you stay in touch with me. I'm Tariq Moody, and this is Diverse Disruptors from 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. Diverse Disruptors is presented by Northwestern Mutual and United Way's Tequity, with support from Carthage College. Diverse Disruptors is hosted by Tariq Moody, executive produced by myself, Nate Immig, with production support from Kenny Perez. Marketing by Sarah Lahr and Aaron Bagata, with community outreach by Maddie Reardon. Our development director is Maggie Corey, Dory Zori is 88.9's program director, Jordan Lee is our station director, and Kevin Sucker is 88.9's executive director. Biggest thanks to our members for making this and all content on 88.9 possible. You can find out more about membership at radiomilwaukee.org slash support. Diverse Disruptors is an original podcast production of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee.